good morning, Chapel Scott's edition. We love you. All the men and women in the jail. Come on, tell somebody next to you, you look good. Come on, tell them you look good. You can be seated. Well, we're in the last, seri- the last message in a series on the book of Ruth, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a second, but I love to start by looking in the camera in the back of the room and saying good morning to the Chapel Scott's edition. We love what God's doing in Richmond. Good morning, 930. We love you guys. It's incredible to see the way our campus in the city, Scott's edition, has served this community over the last couple of weeks, multiple outreaches and partnerships and just the generosity down there. So proud of you guys guys think of you, pray for you, and excited about what God's doing. And then, of course, the men and women in uh, Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections. You're not a project to us. You're our people, and we are absolutely honored to have you with us today. And then, of course, chapel in the lobby one, lobby two, lobby three. Come on, give it up for all our lobbies today, and love you guys. And, um, I just, you know, we we try not to talk about it. So we found the perfect location for a third campus to fix this problem. And the problem is they haven't told us yes yet. So uh, we're in the maybe stage. So would you do me a favor and pray, okay? And uh, and we're we're really, I mean, I wish, you know what I mean? Uh, it'd be amazing. But um, and then second of all, we found our backup location we don't like as much that we're going to go with anyways if we have to, if the first one gets <laughs> said no, okay? So just so you know, we're going to launch campus number three real soon here to make space in Midlothian. And, uh, and so just, just I want to just tell everybody in the lobby, just hang with us, really, and just say an extra prayer because the one location, man, it would be, be, I don't even want to talk about it. It's so good, okay? Um, but, uh, but the other one I'm kind of excited about, so... Uh, <laughs> So, but we're working on uh, creating a solution to that. And in fact, next week, we're launching a series called Next, where we give an update. We're at the halfway point almost in April, we will be, of this journey called Next to build a new auditorium and expand and give you some updates of really cool things that are happening in the life of our church. And so you'll want to be a part of that, praying for all the new vision God's given us for the month of March and all the ways he's setting his hand on our church. And then, of course, first Wednesday, we have an incredible uh, pastor friend of ours that's going to share a great word. He's an incredible communicator. You don't want to miss first Wednesday worship, communion, message, all of that. And so we're excited um, about what God's doing. Well, you look good today. How many have enjoyed this winter? Come on. Come on. Somebody said it's cold today. I said, now we're just getting greedy because uh, I just am curious. How many think we're still going to get kind of a, a snow before it's all said and done with? Okay. No. How, how many don't think that? Okay. Let me ask a real question. How many of you are disappointed that we didn't get snow once? Just raise your hand if you're sick. Okay, great. Man, I grew up in upstate New York. I've had enough snow forever. Uh, well, we always take uh, usually the month of February and talk about relationships because it's sort of the love month and, and Valentine's and all that. And so we've been journeying through the eighth book of the Bible. It's a book of Ruth. It's a, it's a four-chapter love story. It's a lifetime movie special, you know, uh, boy meets girl, girl uh, moves into town uh, and happens to work at the same store as him or field as him. And he, I mean, it's a whole thing. And then there's a plot twist where Another guy almost marries her, but he scoops in and makes it happen. Come on. And she moves out of the big city to the small town, and they end with having a baby, and there's, and there's grandma bouncing the baby on the knee, and, you know, it's this whole thing, you know. 
And uh, we, we've been looking at what God's word teaches us about relationships over the last few weeks. And we end that series today. And I had like a few things that were like burning on my heart as we went through the book of Ruth that I didn't know where to, which sermon to jam them into. And so I'm just going to hit you with, oh, I had like 40 pages left of notes. So I'm going to cover that today and then we'll be done. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, I won't do that that, that much. And uh, but I want you to just be reminded that this entire story happened in dark days in the nation of Israel. It was the time of the judges. And that's the book of the Bible. It's like the Murdoch trial, you know what I mean, of the Bible. It's a, it's a, bad, it's a bad day of, of, of civil unrest and moral decay and, and uncertainty and chaos in the community. And, and yet God was at work in the lives of Ruth and, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And God was still at work in people's lives. And I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of people thinking, well, the, the, the world's over and, 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 and everything's terrible and, 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 and we should all just eat tuna in the basement and <laughs> cash out and have gold and bury it in our backyards. And, c- come on, uh, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, I'm just here to tell you that God is, I, I just want to remind you this week that God is still at work in dark days. And even when it looks like there's moral decay and uncertainty and political unrest and, and values falling apart, I, I don't know about you, I just sense God at work, even in our own country, I sense God at work. You see some of the stories of what he's doing in universities across the country with no big name worship leaders, no big name preachers, just students leading worship and not leaving chapel services and, 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 and God stirring the hearts of young people, even in our own church, uh, our greatest ever student attendance was last month month in February, the greatest amount of junior high and senior high students between both campuses ever. I'm just telling you, some people say young people don't want to love Jesus. I'm sensing something incredible in the hearts of young people that are rising up and taking their place. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm just here to remind you that in Ruth's day, it was dark days, and it was days of judges, and it was days of uncertainty, and it was days that, that if you read the book of Judges, you'd think God can't be at work at all. The, the, the degradation and the chaos and the moral uncertainty and, the, and, the, and all of that, and yet God was at work in the fields of Bethlehem, redeeming some women's story and putting things together and preparing for the coming of Jesus. And I just felt like God kind of spoke to me through the book of Ruth. I'm still shining light in dark days. I'm still at work even, and, and I don't even need the headlines and the news or, or, or uh, I don't need anybody in a big place. I can work through my people in common places to accomplish my purpose. And I, I just want to encourage you today. You're scared about the future, uncertain about the future. There's something happening in the hearts of people. There's something happening in, in our own church in prayer, and there's something happening in, in community and in connection and group life. There's something happening. And I'm just encouraging us. We need, to, we need to hold the line of still holding on to biblical truth, but we can't become the Christians that are mad and cynical at the world. How many know it's possible to kind of look at the culture and get kind of ticked off, but how many know that isn't attractive to anyone to have this I'm upset kind of spirit? Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, Jesus is on the throne. He's still building his church. In the end, he's coming again, and he's got a plan for our city, our family, our community. Can I get a big amen today? Like, he's still 
at work in our lives. And that's, that's the whole book of Ruth. It's God's still at work. Even when it didn't look nationally and politically and, and geopolitically, it looked uncertain. God was at work in the families of people doing special things. And I think that's what he's always done. In the darkest of times, the light has shined the brightest. And in my, times of uncertainty, the Bible still says that God's calling his people and a plan and a and a purpose. And I'm just here to encourage you. We did it during 21 days of prayer. Maybe we'll share it again. But globally around the world, the church of Jesus Christ has never grown faster, including in South America and China and in Muslim countries. I mean, the march of the gospel around the world. And I know the news doesn't want to say that. In fact, I don't know if you know this, the number of atheists is going down. In, in the. I know everybody's saying there's an opposite thing, but I'm telling you, there's a, there's a stirring of God's hand upon our world in a way that's just absolutely exciting. Come on, man. And we're thankful for that. And the book of Ruth tells us that God does that. He works in, in the darkest of days. Uh, the second thing I notice in the book of Ruth that I think is so true is that God, God's work in, in, in our lives is hardly ever in a straight line. Like it's almost, how many have ever found that your plans didn't happen the way you thought they would? Come on, right? Like you had a way in your brain that it was going to go and it didn't go that way. Come on, right? Uh, um, I, I think this is true. In the book of Ruth, it shows that God's plan for his people is rarely ever a straight road through Nebraska. It's usually a, an up and down twist through the Rockies, okay? And, and I think we need to embrace the fact that God's going to lead us and guide us and direct us, even if we don't always understand the when and the how and the where. And that's what I see in the book of Ruth. There's a lot of like movement in the book of Ruth. Things just keep going. I mean, it starts off, Ruth chapter 1, with disappointment. And, and, and in fact, Naomi is so bitter. She says, I went away full and I've, I've come back empty. I don't have anything. God's, God's dealt bitterly with me. She has a sense of like God's disappointed me. Let, let's be honest. There are moments in life that things don't go the way we want and we feel disappointed by God, okay? And I think it's important that the church acknowledge that, that we don't acknowledge the fact that we always understand God's way. Have, has anybody ever seen God do something in your life and you kind of thought it was a bad, bad move? Come on, you know what I mean? In fact, the whole Bible has these, uh, the Psalms have these things called imprecatory Psalms, which is people complaining to God about what he's doing, okay? God, why, how long, how long, God, can, can uh, the Philadelphia Eagles lose the Super Bowl? How long, right? I mean, how long, God, why, oh Lord, are you this? In fact, the whole imprecatory Psalms are kind of the, the country music uh, portion of the book of Psalms, you know. Like, where are you, God, and what you doing? And well, how come my truck broke down? I love that dog, you know, why did I? And, and, you, and I think it's okay. In fact, somebody said, if you've never questioned, you've never doubted. Part of faith is going through life and saying, God, I don't really understand you in this moment. I'm not comprehending everything you're doing. And the whole book of Ruth is God, is, is Boaz says to Ruth that Ruth is sought under God's wings refuge and God's leading her. And throughout the book of Ruth, whether it's the disappointment of chapter one or, or she meets a great guy in chapter two, but then she might have another guy marry her in chapter three and there's uncertainty and oh no. And then chapter four, how's it going to work? Can she have a baby? I mean, there's up, down, all around, uh, just twists and turns and it's not a flat road through the, through the desert. It's a, it's a winding turn, precipices, and 
hills and valleys and ups and downs and disappointments. But I love this in the book of Ruth. Despite all of the uncertainty of where God's leading, it turns out better than they thought. Do you know what? Sometimes God disappoints us. And then when we get to see it in the end, we realize that he had a better plan than we did. Come on, somebody. Anybody have your heart broken in high school and then you see him on Facebook (laughs) and you realize God has something better for you? Come on. And what seems like a disappointment in the moment ends up with God. The whole book of Ruth is God saying the best is yet to come, Ruth. Naomi, even though you don't see it in this moment, in this disappointment, the book ends with them being swept into God's incredible plan. I'm just here to remind us today, even though God's work in our life is hardly ever a straight line and he leaves us twisting and turning all through different things, he has a plan and purpose that we need to learn to trust him. Can I get an amen, right? A few weeks ago, Katie and I were at a pastor's conference and we got off the plane and we had this rental car that we were supposed to pick up at the budget rental car company. And uh, we went and I noticed there's like five lines of all the different rental car companies. And there's one line that has over a hundred people in it. And guess what it was? Budget. And so I get in line. There were 103 people. You say, how do you know that? Because I counted them because I was trying to figure out how long it would be. And there was only one lady at the counter for a minute. I was like, 103 people. And I kind of did the math as the first two or three people were served. I realized we were going to be in this line like four hours. I said, this just can't be a thing. Like, how can we do this? What can we do? And, and so Katie said, well, you know, nobody's in the Hertz line. Why don't I go see if I can get a car from Hertz? And I said, man, you are smart. And... Uh, So she went over to Hertz line and they said, we're sold out of cars completely. The only thing we have is Teslas, okay? And she said, well, we're pastors. We don't really want to pay for a Tesla. And they said, well, we'll match your rate of whatever your compact car was through budget. We'll match the rate for Tesla. Come on, somebody. The best is yet to come. (laughs) She said, well, yes, you will. And so, so I walked out. I said, well, where are the keys? And she's handed me this thing. I said, this is not keys. And she said, no, it's, they said you tap it on, so I'd never driven a Tesla. So they said, you just take this and you tap it on the window. And I said, what do you mean? You tap it on the window. She said, that's what they said, you tap it on the window. So I said, this is great. We got a Tesla, who cares? And so we're out in the parking lot and I just, I walk up to the car and I don't know how, and I'm just tapping it and it's not working. In fact, I didn't know how to open the handle and I'm like tapping it and I'm rubbing it up and down. I'm hitting it trying to YouTube it. I can't get it opened, you know? Finally, like literally five minutes pass. I'm like, hello, hello. Maybe it's voice activated. Yes, you know? And I can't figure this thing out and it's got a little spot and I'm tapping it and tapping it, but I'm not tapping it right. Finally, this guy comes around who works there and I said, do you know how to open this car? He said, yeah, sure. And he just taps it and I said, okay, show up. And so we got in the car and Katie said, do you know how to drive this? And I said, do I know how to drive this? She said, well, it took you a long time to get in. And so, <laughs> and so I said, of course I do. You put this card somewhere. I'm sure you can put it somewhere. And finally, I realized I didn't know how to drive it. And uh, so I said, I need to call someone. So I knew somebody here in the church that has a Tesla. So they answered. And I said, hey, I need you to talk me through a Tesla. It took me a long time to get in it. And now I'm sitting in it. Well, how do I drive it? You know, I need to know how to gas it up. And he said, well, that's the first thing. You better not gas it up. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm just telling you, for two days at this pastor's conference, I didn't drive a compact Hyundai. Come on, somebody, I drove a Tesla around town. 
And by the way, when you hit the gas, I mean, it's just like it made Katie sick to her stomach. So I would just, sometimes I would do that. And so I'm just like, <clears throat> and it will go, that thing will get up and go. And, and I'm just telling you, all around, I said, man, I drive a Tesla. I pulled up to the thing with the other pastors. I said, you drive a Tesla? I said, you guys don't drive a Tesla. I said, no, no. no. And uh, I'm just telling you what started in a disappointment with 103 people in a line at Budget Rent-A-Car got me in a Tesla for two days. Praise the Lord, somebody. Right now. That's a stupid story, I know. But I know, I know, I know that Ruth and Naomi suffered tons of disappointments. And it must have looked to them like, it, like nothing good was going to happen. But what actually was going to happen was their limited plans for their life ex- suffered a season of disappointment. But in the end, God was going to do more, exceeding their partial momentary disappointment was going to be exceeded with the God who is faithful in the end. I'm here to remind you today, even in the moments of disappointment, it might just be that God's letting something fall apart because he has something better for you, right? In fact, I, in fact, I read a Christian book that one of the pastors wrote it called Your Best Life Now. And I said, that's a bad name for a book for Christians because hopefully your best life, that means you're going to hell later. Hopefully... Your best life is later. I'm just here to tell you, for the Christian, the best is yet to come. Can somebody say amen, right? Like God has a purpose and a plan. So, so he's working even in the windingness of our life. And even in all the ordinary moments of the book of Ruth, I mean, the book of Ruth is about caring for your mother-in-law and going on a first date and, 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 and not being able to get pregnant and then having a baby. It's the ordinary moments of life, and I, I find this to be true. Just write it down. God's work in our life is in the ordinary, but it's never trivial. Meaning God, our lives can feel like we're carrying on some ordinary moments of life, but that doesn't make them trivial because at the end of the book of Ruth, we realize that Ruth and Naomi were in the line of Jesus Christ. It looked like they were just trying to get a job and glean uh, grain in the field, but they were just being ordinary, faithful people, and God was working something extraordinary and eternal. I just want to remind us today that much of our life, can we just admit, much of our life is lived in the ordinary. Come on. How many would admit that some mornings you wake up and you don't feel like a miracle, all right? You're just like, oh, here we go, you know? And, and we do, every day is not like amazing. Like it's just, nor, some of it's just normal, faithful, day in, day out. But you know what? God is at work in the ordinary, but it's never trivial, And what Ruth and Naomi and Boaz are going to learn is that God is working a story in the ordinary events of their life that are going to eventually include the coming of Jesus Christ. They're part of a story that exceeds any they could ever imagine. I just want to remind you today, your Monday to Friday job matters. Your ministry matters. The way you treat the people that you work with matters. The way you invest in your children matters. The way you work hard at school matters. The way you love your spouse matters. All of the ordinary uh, uh, events of our life are wrapped up with eternal significance. Your life matters more than you think it does. My life matters more than I think it does. There's something about just trusting God and taking steps of faith that it feels like we're in the ordinary just humdrum of life. But then when you look back, he puts us in places of influence and and eternal significance that you look back, you can see it. But in the middle of just being faithful, you can't see it at all. And I just want to remind us, we need to be faithful to God, not just on a Sunday morning in worship. We need to be faithful to God in the way we love our neighbors. 
and the way we serve the poor, and the way we care for the needs around us, the way we are faithful in our workplace, the way we're studious and diligent and hardworking. We need people of God who take even the ordinary stuff of life and realize God uses our ordinary to do something extraordinary, right? Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart uh, because all of it gives glory to God, right? You say, does it really give glory to God when I work hard? It gives glory to God when you work hard, when you create, when you produce, when you, when, you in, when you invest, when you build, when you care, when you love, when you serve. It brings glory to God when we take the gifts and talents he's given us and we use them for his purpose and plan. And I love that in the book of Ruth. They think, Ruth just thinks she's loving on her mother-in-law, but she's not. She's being positioned to give birth to the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. Naomi thinks she's just caring for her daughter. No, no, but she's part of the cosmic plan of redemption to bring change into the world around her. And I love that. God uses our ordinary. Come on, God uses our ordinary, okay? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, even though you're ordinary, God can use you. Come on, tell them that, even though you're ordinary. Come on, in the lobby too. I see you're not participating out there. No, I'm just kidding. Here's the fourth thing I see. Uh, Just one more thing, and then I'll share one more thing. Here it is. In the book of Ruth, I see that God works to bring us into family. And this could get real, like, murky and deep. I'm going to do my best to be, like, as clear as I can. Boaz is called a redeemer. The Hebrew word, I want to teach you one Hebrew word today. Is that okay? Then you can impress the Presbyterians at brunch, okay, right? Come on, here it is. It's the Greek word goel. Come on, somebody say goel, right? It's like somebody with an accent saying goel. Goel, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it literally means next of kin or redeemer, okay? It's used in the Old Testament for Boaz. He's called a goel. But the interesting thing is if you study in Hebrew, this word goel is not only used of Boaz in the book of Ruth, it's used regularly of God, a goel, next of kin. And here's what the word goel means. It means somebody positioned a next of kin with redemptive um, uh, uh, rights to somebody who goes through laws. So Boaz was the next of kin who, who went, because he was single, when Ruth was a widow, to redeem her in her vulnerable financial place and to sweep her into a family of stability. He was her redeemer. And the book of Ruth, but, but the book of Ruth is not just about the love affair between Boaz and Ruth. Oh, it's not love and marriage, love and marriage. Oh, oh, you're so sweet. It's not just that. It's really a picture of what God will do for us. What Boaz does for Ruth, what the human author is trying to show us is that through the inspiration of the spirit is that God wants to do that for us. That we are poor, blind, naked, and sinful. But there is a Goel, a redeemer, who will buy us, sweep away our debts, and and invite us into his family. Come on, are there any sinners in the room? Come on, somebody, right? Come on, just raise your hand if you're a sinful person. Come on, just raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody super sinful. Come on, (laughs) super sinful, that's better. Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The story of the Bible, just catch this, is not that we were so great that God had to have us on his team. And you go to some churches and they're like, man, God's lucky he got you. 
Well, I know me. God isn't that lucky. And you know you. Right? The story of the Bible is that even though we sin and fall short of the glory of God, there is a God who wants to redeem us in our broken estate. And the story of the Bible is of a God who sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to be our Goel, our redeemer, to take our sin upon himself, to give us brand new forgiveness. There are churches out there that are teaching the reason that you have a relationship with God is if you try hard enough or you're righteous enough. That is not the message of the chapel. The message of the chapel is we could never earn the love of God no matter what we try so God did for us what we could not do for himself by his own grace and mercy in fact the story of the Bible is of a redeemer who takes our sin upon himself Charles Spurgeon put it this way it's of a physician Christ who heals us by taking on himself our diseases that on the cross Jesus was treated as if he had lived our life so that now we could be treated as if he had lived his life how incredible is that that on the cross God looked at Jesus and treated him as if he had lived Brandon Samuel's life so that now he can look at Brandon Samuel and treat him as if he had lived Jesus Christ's life not because of anything I have done but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God and so we got to get this straight as a church we are not servants of God we're sons and daughters of God I mean, we're servants too, but I'm telling you, there's a way to think of God as though we're his employee and he's our employer. And we got to keep, you'll hear people say this, I got to keep the big man upstairs happy, you know. Well, he's not come to be a big man upstairs. He's come to be not only a king, but a father of sons and daughters that he sweeps into his family. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, Yes, he's in heaven, hallowed be your name. But I pray to him as though he's my father. For John the apostle put it this way. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called what? Children of God. So we're not just sons and, and uh, or we're not just servants. We're sons and daughters. We're invited into the family. We're swept into community. We're adopted sons. Into, this is the picture of a redeemer, of one who sweeps us into his family and gives us grace and mercy. I'm just here to tell you today, if you don't know that one, he's come to do that through Jesus Christ. And I want to make sure as a church we never get to the church that becomes a do this list of rules, do's and don'ts, and God will love you, Right? God's like Santa. He's making a list, checking it twice, you know. If you're good, you get good. If you're bad, you get cold. The story of the Bible is we couldn't be good enough. So Jesus was good for us. You say, Pastor, that sounds crazy. That's why the hymn writer said it's amazing grace, not pretty decent grace. He's like, no, 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 this is amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. That literally, here's what it's saying, that God has given us forgiveness, and it comes through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, this was hard for me growing up because I grew up in a very works-centered uh, season of my life. I went to a church. I don't know if any of you have ever gone to a church. I went to a church where everything was a sin. Everything. I don't know if anybody, you know, you, you know for a season when I was real little, the women couldn't wear makeup. Come on, somebody. They... The, the, you couldn't go to movies growing up. You couldn't, you know, uh, smoke or chew or go with girls that do. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> and uh, everything was a sin. The first movie I ever went to as a kid was The Passion of the Christ. And my mom didn't want me to go. I was like, I feel like it's a solid movie, you know. <laughs> it's about Jesus, you know. It's in Hebrew. 
And listen, I, by the way, I, we might need a scoop more of that right now, but I'm just saying, uh, I, I, I am saying this though, in my mind, my idea was if I was good enough, God would love me. And if I was faithful to God today, then God would love me. And I had an experience as a freshman in Bible college reading the book of Romans where I just realized that God loved me even though I wasn't good enough. And instead of trying to earn the approval of my father, I could live out of the approval of my father. And I wonder if God wants to let some chains drop off of some people this weekend that you've been trying to earn your way to God, impress him with your own righteousness. I'm here to tell you today, you, you and I can't ever impress him. He's impressed with the shed blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that we're just adopted sons and daughters of God. What if we just took one second today and just said, thank you, Jesus, for that today? Can we do that? God, thank you for your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness. All right, let me show you one more thing and then we're done, okay? One more thing and then we're done. Has anybody not eaten breakfast today, okay? That's great. I'm gonna make you hungry. Here it is, okay? Throughout the book of Ruth, I see one more thing and that is that grain and bread is talked about so much in the book of Ruth. I'll just show you a few of them. There was, the book starts with a famine in the land and then, it, and then it retur- Naomi returns as the barley harvest was beginning and she carried it back to town and, and her mother-in-law saw how much uh, grain she had gathered, okay, until they finished harvesting all the grain. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean the barley. In the There's barley, wheat, bread all over the book of Ruth, okay? In fact, the word Bethlehem that they returned from Moab to Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Come on, somebody. All the, the, all the vegan people here today and all that. Come on, house of bread. Amen. And uh, I mean, I know bread's bad now. It's bad. But there's this theme of grain and bread and famine. And in fact, I wish we had time to talk about Bethlehem. There's so much significance in Bethlehem. It's in the field in Bethlehem that the angels appear. Glory to God in the highest, to the shepherds, and peace on earth. And the, the shepherds went praising God when Jesus was. I mean, there's so much about Bethlehem. But but here's what I see in the Book of Ruth: that there are people starving. And when they go to the place of God, God provides them with the grain and bread that they have. And this is just a theme that I think is throughout the book of Ruth. Maybe you write it down. That God works to feed the hunger of the human heart. Throughout the book of Ruth, there are hungry people and a God who feeds. And I don't think it's just a physical feeding. It's a picture spiritually. In fact, Naomi will say, I feel empty. It's a picture of the hunger of humanity that God feeds. And you know, I think this is exactly what the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches that all of us were made with a hunger to fill something in our life. People everywhere are hungry and thirsty to to find meaning through money or relationships or sexuality or fame or jobs Hobbies, just trying to stuff their soul to fill up this gap in their life. And, and the truth is you can never f- find the fulfillment for that need because it's, we're created with a God-shaped vacuum in our life, a God-shaped hole that only Jesus can fill. In fact, there's a story in, in Luke 15 of a son who 
who went away from the father. It's a picture of us. And he did everything he could to try to fill his own life. And finally, at the end of his, at the end of his wandering, he spent everything he has, and he, and he has this hunger in his soul. In fact, physically, it says, and when this man came to himself, he said, how many of my hired, of my hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and yet I perish with hunger? And when I read this verse, I thought of a verse that this describes our culture like never before, and yet I perish with hunger. After all the attempts to fill this broken place in our life, I think our culture's still crying out. I'm st- I still didn't, it didn't satisfy. It didn't meet the need. It didn't fill the broken place on the inside of me. How many know you can never fill the hole in our soul for a relationship with a creator with created things? Only the creator can fill the vacuum of our soul. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not sure I have that filled in my heart. Well, that's the whole story of the book of Ruth. It's of a God who feeds the soul, who sees the brokenness of human need and feeds the soul. In fact, Isaiah the prophet gives this crazy verse describing this. He says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Isn't that the worst description of a restaurant you've ever heard? Our restaurant exists for those who have no money, come by and eat. Here's the point. God has come not not to get what he can from us, but to give us what we could never get on our own. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Here's what Isaiah is saying. Come to God. Anyone who has this hunger in your soul, this hunger in your heart, this broken place on the inside of you that you've been trying to fill and you can't fill it on your own, it can only be filled through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said to that woman in John 4 at the well, you could drink of this water and you would thirst again. But if you drink of the water I would give unto you, you would never thirst again. It would spring up within you a well of living water, right? God has come to satisfy the the hunger of the human soul. And he does that through Jesus Christ. And the whole book of Ruth shouts, you feel like something's missing? You feel hungry for more in life? then that hunger can only be met with the God of the universe who invites you into that relationship. Would you bow with me all over this room and in the lobby and Scott's edition and the jail? The good news is this is a free offer of grace. Maybe you're here this week and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure I know if my soul's really complete or satisfied that I'd invite you, just like the Bible says, to come to God who can fill up that place in your soul that feels empty. No one's looking around. I won't embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you get out of your seat or anything like that. I would just love to pray for you wherever you are, in any of the rooms, online, anywhere, but something about just saying, God, I, I open my heart to you. Would you come and fill me? And he does that through Jesus Christ. I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. But nobody's looking around. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and Scott's addition all over this building online. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I have a relationship with God, but today I want to open my heart to God and let him come on the inside of me and change my life. 
If that's you today, would you just lift your hand up high and put it right back down? Yes, thank you. Are there others? Pastor, pray for me. Yes, yes. Ma'am, anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain I'm where I'm at in my own relationship with God. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain of where I'm at in my own relationship with God. And I want to um, open my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. So right where you're seated. Yeah, absolutely, young lady. I see that. One more time before I pray. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, I need to open my heart to God today. Would you just pray for me? And you put your hand up. Yes, thank you, sir. One last time, just in case I miss anybody. Right where you're seated, it's not magic words, but if it's the cry of your heart, God will hear it. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I repent of my sin and I turn to you. I believe Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to forgive me. So today I invite you to come and live on the inside of my heart to take away all my mistakes and sins and to live in me. Today I give you everything. And I pray you'd save me. In Jesus' name. Amen. You just need to know this. Our church exists. Our number one value is to help people know God. If you prayed that prayer in any of the rooms prison, but a lot of people in this room did too. Man, we're so proud of you. What an honor and a joy for us as a church to just come alongside of you, encourage you. Let's tell them we're proud of them. Can we, Chapel, today? Yeah.